In this episode of The Ziggler Show, the question is, who do you work for? We hear a true and acute story from Zig Ziglar about two men who started with a company at the same time. 20 years later, one was still working for the company and one was the president. A stark difference. The reason cited by the one still just working for the company is he merely went to work for the money. So I put this question to the Ziggler audience. I work for blank. Who do you do your work for? Who are you serving? Incredible responses from so many varieties of industries that really pulls our attention to just exactly what we are all working for. And we hear from an equal amount of employees and business owners. And I don't think it's as simple as just saying, hey, I work for my family. I work for God. So we really dig into that to pull our attention again to who are we really working for? So we're going to start with a two and a half minute message from Zig, and then Tom and I are going to dive into the comments. Welcome everyone. I'm Kevin Miller. I host three podcasts where we have candid discussions regarding the root issues of personal change and growth. This is The Ziggler Show, a top-ranked all-time career podcast in Apple Podcasts, and our focus is growing your professional success by helping you grow into your full capacity. My Motive podcast is devoted to clarifying the reasons that drive you. My True Life podcast is aimed at getting you fully functioning physically so your body doesn't hold you back. You can find all three shows in Apple Podcasts by searching for Kevin Miller or go to my website, kevinmiller.co. One of my favorite stories has to do with something that happened many, many years ago. It seems that there was a hot day out in the Midwest, and these uh, work crew was uh, working on a section of the railroad. When this luxury railroad car, about four in the whole train, and the last one was this gorgeous luxury uh, caboose. And they recognized it immediately for what it was. And then the, the window opened on that luxury uh, last car. And a voice called out, Dave, is that you? Dave Anderson over here. Well, Dave Anderson was leading that work crew in that hot sun. And uh, Jim Murphy was the voice calling. He said, come on over, Dave. I want to talk to you. Well, Dave was very happy to get out of that hot sun into that air-conditioned car. And so he walked over there, and he and Jim greeted each other warmly outside. They went in. They had a marvelous visit for about an hour. And Dave got ready to go back uh, out to the crew. And again, uh, he and uh, Jim shook hands warmly and talked another minute out there. And then Dave went back to his work crew. And one of the workers said, uh, Dave, uh, do you know who that is? They said, why, sure, it's Jim Murphy, president of the railroad. He said, well, how do you know Jim Murphy so well? He said, well, over 20 years ago, he and I went to work for this railroad on the same day. And the worker said, well, Dave, how do you explain this? You are still out here working in the sun, and he is in an air-conditioned car and president of the railroad. Dave Anderson's answer is one of the great lessons of life when he said, well, over 20 years ago, I went to work for $1.75 an hour. Jim Murphy went to work for the railroad. Now, it's a two-way street. You see, the company needs to provide training, inspiration, and opportunity 
And when the worker provides excitement, enthusiasm, commitment, and honest effort, then that simply means that both of them, management and workers, are on the same side. And when that happens, then productivity, folks, no longer is a problem. Tom, anytime I hear this concept of, you know, what are you working for? Who do you work for? I think of the old story. I also have to go find it and cut and paste it here. But it said, uh, the, the, the version I got here says, 1671, Christopher Wren observed three bricklayers on a scaffold. One crouched, one half standing, and one standing tall, working very hard and fast. To the first bricklayer, Christopher asked the question, what are you doing? To which the bricklayer replied, I'm a bricklayer. I'm working hard laying bricks to feed my family. The second bricklayer responded, I'm a builder. I'm building a wall. But the third bricklayer, the most productive of the three and the future leader of the group, when asked the question, what are you doing? He replied with a gleam in his eye, I am a cathedral builder. I'm building a great cathedral to the almighty. I love the story. I love the perspective. I mean, can you imagine, you know, going into a fast food place and the kids flipping burgers and to ask them, what are you doing? And if one said, you know, I'm, I'm helping feed the world, you know, expediently and efficiently, we don't hear that. I'm flipping burgers for, for a buck. But I think it's really, again, the story that we just heard from your dad, the bricklayer story, it really calls us to the mat to think about what we were doing. And so, Tom, I thought about this. Well, you know what? Here, let, let me start here because I'm, I'm going to, we're going to get theological. Can we do that? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, Terry here, he says, I work for my family, my clients, my God. Amy, I work for God, serving entrepreneurial women and couples, helping them break through the blind spots and blocks in their relationships caused by trauma. Victoria, God, and he has placed me in a medical practice to lead a team of eight staff and five surgeons. Fun stuff. De, uh, Don, God, everybody else is secondary. Okay, I, I get that. If I'm honest with myself, and this is, this is what occurred to me as I was thinking about this. If I'm honest with myself, first, I, I work for me. And obviously everything I do is motivated by, I want everything that I do. And I think it does. If I, if I got proof that God didn't exist, I would have a very hard time waking up the next day. Uh, so obviously everything is flavored with that. But if I'm really honest, I work for me. I mean, first off, I work for me and I work at what inspires and fulfills me. And I thought, you know, again, it's kind of facetious to say, cause I can't conceive of my reason for living without a belief in God. But to a degree, if, if it was proven God didn't exist, to some degree, I would still wake up the next day and work. And But further, and this is the one that got me because it's so tempting to say for my family, but if my family disappeared and I woke up in a different reality tomorrow, same, same reality, but I just didn't have a family, it was just me, I'd still be doing the same thing. And if there's a billion dollars in my bank account, I'd still come in and do the same thing. So when I'm grateful for that, but it, what it really belies if I get under there is who I'm really working for me, uh, same person I'm going out and riding my bike for. I do it for me. I do it because it gives me purpose. It gives me joy and I do work. And I, but as I do it and I have the mindset of as unto God, just like the picture behind me, that's a picture of Jesus. That's a depiction of Jesus sitting with a businessman who's seeking counsel from him. Jesus is talking. I want to be that. I want to be hearing from my you know, father in heaven in regards to everything that I do. And I am doing it, doing work that I, I 
believe benefits people and I'm striving to benefit them and I'm doing it to put, you know, food on the table. So all those things exist, but the altruism out, out of that, I, I, I'm not going to uphold that so much because at the end of the day, I'm, I'm also doing it because it fulfills me. So what do you, what do you think? Give me your thoughts on that. I just threw, I just threw that at you. Yeah, I think uh, that that theological question, why do you work? You know, is it for God? Um, I, I noticed that maturity gained through trial and fire helps you to get clarity on something like that. Um, you know, we we start off in life. We think we got all the time in the world. We start doing something. We might or might not be good at it, but we get some momentum. We start advancing. And for, for our culture and the inputs that we get, you know, it's usually about I need to work so I can get the next thing because the next thing is what's finally going to make me happy. And then we grow up a little bit. We have some setbacks. We experience some pain and we say, wait a second, things don't make me happy. <laughs> and it's it's not enough people are actually enjoying what they do because they're working for a paycheck instead of a dream. If yeah. what you, you know, Howard Partridge says, the only reason that your business exists, the only reason you do what you do is it's the vehicle to allow you to achieve your life goals. What you do gets you towards your life goals. And I think, uh, who's, who's the guy who does the, oh man, he's the business guy that talks about dirty jobs and, and uh, Mike Rowe. Mike Rowe. Okay. So, uh, and, and he and Rabbi Daniel Lapid are on the same page on this. You know what? Every job has value. Every job that solves a problem is fantastic. And it doesn't have to be the be all end all, the job itself, but how you do the job and why you do the job changes everything. And so, if you show up to the job for $1.75 an hour versus to serve people in the railroad, you get two different outcomes, right? And if you do what you do because it's taking you closer to your dream, your level of motivation and dedication and mental uh, awareness and empathy and care and everything that you do is going to be different. If you walk in, well, all I get is X dollars per hour, X dollars per year. My job is to get away with as much as I can versus, man, the better I do here, the faster I get my dream. Those are two different parallels. Yep. And I think what the problem is, is that if the only reason you do what you do is to achieve your life goals, the problem is, is that people don't have life goals. They've never taken the time to say, this is what's valuable. This is what's important. And so I think we start to work for ourselves and for God when we get that clarity, that alignment between what our life goals are and what God's purpose is. Yeah. Yep. If we don't know what our life goals are or if we never take the time to figure out what is our purpose here, then we're not working for ourselves or for God. Agreed. And, you know, I love what you said about every job having value. That's part of my story. I had some time, Tom, of being somewhat judgmental about what people do. If I didn't see an altruistic aspect out of that. 
and uh, I had a guy I'll never forget who was part of my organization in helping him become self-employed. And he was really into boarding, wakeboarding in the summer, snowboarding in the winter. And I learned through him, it just lit him up. Now he did find value in this. I love getting people outdoors and getting them, you know, getting families to have these experiences. It draws them together. But uh, you know, so he did have a purpose and I, and I get that and I appreciated that, but I also just saw it just lit him up and it finally occurred to me that it just made him a happier guy than the job. Cause he had like a, you know, the, the real job over here that did not paid well, good, solid job, safe job, all that kind of stuff. The one that your parents tell you to get. And he had that, you know, I, I don't know what he did accounting or something like that, but didn't like that. And I realized, wait, this, this doing this other thing, it makes him a happy guy. He's going to be a happier husband. Uh, a happier father. He'll probably end up making more money because he enjoys it. And it was, it was again, preaching to me, quit judging what people do. Every job, like you said, has value, whether it is intrinsic of it or whether it just fulfills you, gives you joy, gives you meaning, gives you purpose. Uh, it, it floats your boat as you know, as, as we say, if it does, man, that has so much value. And Tom, I just had this acutely happen in my life, I've got two sons, uh, one's 16 driving, one's just about to turn 15. And we were looking at jobs and I was, I was working on helping them get something together. So I've got one driving, you know, driving the other. And uh, we got them three specific opportunities or a couple others. I think they could have gotten two, but three actual offers on the table for summer work for these guys. And we looked at them and long story short, they picked the the least paying job because we talked about what are you going to be doing all day long at each of these? One was helping with the parks and rec in the area. My guys, I mean, they do cross country and track, but they're not big sports guys. They don't play ball sports. They, they didn't. Some of their other siblings did, but these two did not. And so they're going to be off helping with that, helping ref and helping do this at that. It's, they don't care about that. It's like, it'd be like saying, can you get behind that? And they said, we don't No, we don't care. I mean, we can try to serve people well, but we could, we could care less. There was another job that paid really well that was cooking for a lot of the area camps. So we're up here in the mountains of Colorado, lots of camps, and it was cooking uh, for that. Now we're a foodie family, but they're not really into cooking at this point in their lives. And to stand in a kitchen doing that, is that something that they're excited about, especially when they would be doing a lot of food? Now we are a real healthy food family and for them to be sitting there providing, preparing foods that they may struggle with a little bit of thinking, I'm giving these kids crap, you know, to eat. So again, it's hard for them to get behind it. And they took a position at a camp doing a variety of things where they're actually going to be engaged with the kids and with the staff and be able to, it's getting kids out of the cities, into the mountains is part of their ethos and, and some things that, man, they can get behind. So they, they, they feel like they are going to be serving that purpose. And man, we have kids these days and we don't do a good job of, well, heck, you know, even with ourselves, I mean, we could look right now and ask everybody, especially people who are employed by a company, are you really behind the product? Are you really behind the service? And of course, that's a big problem that we have today, as you know well, Tom, too, is that we have, especially in the bigger corporations, people who are further and further removed from the end product. Their end product is happening way out here, and they're in a high rise, and they're 20 degrees removed from what the end product or service even is. Uh, There's a guy called Matthew Crawford, an author, who wrote the book, 
I'll have to look it up. I'm gonna, I may mis, misphrase it. It's, it's shop class. He's talking about shop class in schools that pretty much is gone now. It was shop class as soul craft or for soul craft, something like that. But it was a guy, he went to school, got his fancy degree, got a high paying job in Washington with this think tank. And he's like six weeks into it. Fancy job, fancy title, lots of status, pays well. And he's sitting there going, what on earth am I doing? And he quit and opened up a motorcycle repair shop. So this is kind of the, it's kind of the, the motorcycle repair Zen. What, what was that? I can't remember the name of that book. Um, but he talks about that, that we are not helping our kids look at what are they connected to? What is the end? Product? Even if you're in the high rise, we're not, di- he wasn't dissing that, but he says, but do you know the end product and the end, the end service and the end user and how you are impacting them? Cause when you are so far removed um, it, which I think Mike Rowe talks a lot about that, Tom. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, you, you, on the little rant that you just went on, uh, not really a rant, but, uh, I'll run with it. I'm that. okay with that. You're okay with that. Yeah. Uh, just one of the trends I'm reading is that of course, in the last year, a lot of home, you know, kids came home for school. Right. I mean, so you got parents in working from home in a lot of cases, trying to juggle their kids working and going through school. Yeah. So now they're working and doing that. And they discovered some things. They discovered that maybe the education they thought their kids were getting wasn't what they thought it should be. And they discovered that it certainly wasn't uh, effective in a, you know, an online Zoom atmosphere like they had hoped. And then they discovered that they kind of like not commuting to their own job. And then they discovered that between childcare and clothing and gas and transportation, that that second job that one of the one of the uh, parents had really didn't add that much to the bottom line, but it did add a lot of chaos. Yeah. And then they discovered that rather than you know running from from school event to school event to school event, where one kid's life is totally. Uh, upended that it was kind of nice to just stay home and chill. I remember my sister, Julie, um, like three weeks or three months into the pandemic when all the kids were at home and her daughters, I said, how's it going? And she said, Oh, it's fantastic. I said, what do you mean? Well, they had a couple of teenage boys and she said, they're sweet and nice again. Hmm. And I said, why is that? And she said, well, I think it's because of sports. They were, having to get to the school before 6.30 in the morning to get an early morning workout. And then they were staying late into the evening till 7 or 7.30 at practice. And they were just tired all the time. Yeah. And it wasn't because the school was doing anything wrong or the coaches were doing anything wrong. When you are 14, 15, 16, and your body's growing like a machine, you need a certain amount of sleep. And if you don't get it, you get kind of cranky. And, and so a lot of people discover that. And so they're redefining who they work for, right? I don't, I don't have to meet what society once said was the status quo. It's okay if our total income goes down a little bit and I don't have Kate daycare and I don't have 20 errands. And, and, and you know what? We just, we, we just figure it out as a family. And, and so what a great, you know, they talk about the reset. I think there's a lot of positive resets that are going on right now. 
And so ultimately, you know, dad said this, cause we talked, you know, I'm making a Phil Mickelson connection here. Cause Phil just won the PGA at 50 years and 11 months. That's awesome. And just epic. And not only was it epic, but I mean, he came into the tide for the lead on the second day and held on to it and had some pretty big leads going in and it was a nail biter, you know, and he, and everybody was like, oh no, this is going to be a crater because he's 50. And he goes out there and he wins. But here is the reality. He did a lot of things in preparation to win that I'm sure he didn't like doing. I'm sure the way he had to do his diet, he didn't necessarily like. I'm sure the way he changed his physical workout routine, it wasn't his first choice. I'm sure the way he did his mental preparation and practice, there were other things that were probably more fun, right? And so this is Mike Rowe. You don't have to like every aspect of what your work is, but isn't it cool when that work provides for you to build the intentional legacy and the satisfaction that you gave it everything you got? I mean, at the end of that day, if Phil had not won, he still could have looked in the mirror and he said, you know what? There's not one thing I would do different. And ultimately, I think that's the big purpose. That's the big why. That is what, you know, when we say, are we working for God? We're working for ourselves. Dad said this. He said that success is the maximum utilization of the abilities that God gave you. Yes. Right? So what if working for ourselves meant that we recognized our purpose in God's creation and we simply maximized every ability he's given us and we become the professional that we need to become in order to serve people in whatever role that we're put into. You are listening to The Ziggler Show in this episode on who we're really working for. So next, I take to task the idea of finding work you love and you'll never work a day in your life. I disagree. It would be great to start a business with millions of customers already on your website. That is what Amazon FBA, Fulfillment by Amazon, offers. FBA is a program that Amazon started where they lend their entire fulfillment network to their sellers. That means they pick, pack, and ship your products, handle returns, and customer service. Amazon FBA is for anyone wanting to start a business. Helium 10 is an all-in-one software tool for entrepreneurs to help them start, build, and grow a business on Amazon. Helium 10 has served over a million users worldwide. They track over 2 billion products on Amazon and Helium 10 has over 30 tools to help you research, start and manage your business on Amazon. You can learn the right way to sell on Amazon from the start, learn everything you need to know about an Amazon business from how to find a product, create a listing and grow your sales and more. A lesson I learned in business is just the strength of continuity and trust. Meaning if you're selling and shipping products, nobody does it better than Amazon. And that's who Helium 10 is helping you utilize and benefit from. You can start your own journey and build your business on Amazon today. Helium 10 has a really stout offer for us. Ziggler listeners get 50% off their first month of Helium 10 Platinum when you go to helium10.com. That's numeral one zero and use the code Ziggler when you check out. So helium10.com and use code Ziggler. Yeah, it, Tom, it reminds me of the old quote that we've all heard. Uh, you, you talking about there's always things that 
we're not going to love everything in there. And so quotes, and it's, it's battered around about who said it. Uh, Mark Anthony is cited with saying, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Mark Twain, I think is more known for saying, find a job you enjoy doing. You'll never work a day in your life. And God bless those guys. Uh, but I don't, I just don't agree because the work that I love and enjoy the most is still work. I mean, when it comes down to it, what do I enjoy most? Probably sitting down with a blank piece of paper and writing out my thoughts and ideas. That's how I craft these shows, come up with the concepts for them, uh, the recordings for them, and then doing the book, doing my book just recently. Man, I'm, I'm eager to embrace the role of author, you know, more and more and more. Um, but it's still work. It's difficult to sit down and think through and think creatively. So it's a blast, but it's still work. I mean, I could take that back to cycling. And I loved racing. That's what I liked. I did not like going out and training in the rain. I didn't like training on the trainer. There's a lot of the travel and the accommodations I did not enjoy. Uh, I didn't enjoy managing my diet at all. I didn't enjoy any of that. But man, I loved to race. So I was motivated to do those things because it gave me the opportunity to go out there and be masterful on the roads and, and go for the end of it. So I, yeah, I appreciate you saying that, that you find the thing that you... Uh, love the most. And I, somebody's going to have to tell me, I, I'd have to see their work, say, seriously, there's nothing that you do that you don't enjoy. I don't know anybody like that. Maybe Richard Branson. I heard one time that he works like 20, out, 20 minutes a day. He just makes a couple phone calls, does decisions, and then goes off and play. Maybe, but I'm, I also know he paid his dues, you know, to get there. So uh, yeah, thank you for, uh, for pointing that out. Wait, one more point here, Tom, because we did have a lot of people, Brian Davis. He says, I work for me and my two kids and my clients to scale their business. So I'm going to focus on, I work for my clients. Leslie says, uh, I'm, uh, or or, I'm sorry. No, uh, John Simpson here says, I work for small business owners that want to double their leads and double their profits. Uh, Lori says, I work for a school district and I serve all the little ones and their families as well. Jessica Moyer, who, who gives us so many great responses. She says, I work for the women who are ready to become healthier, happier, and more pers- pers- uh, purposeful. I mean, that right there. I mean, hopefully, kind of going back to what I talked about, about being removed from the end product or service. I do think that's tragic for us not to be able to go in. Think about your kids to say, if my kids were to, if I was to walk in, somebody gave them this message to say, daddy, who did you serve today? Thank goodness. Did I just, you know, serve myself? If I'm providing any product or service that somebody buys, the only reason they're buying it is because they got value. Back to you, you mentioned Daniel, uh, Rabbi Daniel Lappin. He says, money is that certificate of appreciation. So if I got money, somebody's appreciating it. My employer and if my if my if I got paid by my employer, they're paying me. They're able to because a, a product or service that gives somebody value. So there is there. We should all know again who that per, that person is. And that is a good one to you know as we started off talking about is your first reaction. Hey, I work for God. I work for a higher you know calling. Do I work for my family? Do I work for a person? And ultimately, I do like that perspective, Tom. That the at the end of the day, we can make a case for. And I am working for whoever pays me. I am working to provide value to somebody who says, I will give you my money for that product or service. So here in podcasting, who am I doing it for? Ultimately, yeah, I'm doing it for the listeners. If they don't find value, they don't listen. I'm not doing this. Um, and so I am podcasting. Who am I podcasting for? Yeah, I enjoy doing the work. I enjoy crafting. It fulfills me, but it wouldn't if nobody found value in it. So there's a good case for, yeah, we're doing it for the end recipient, don't you think? 
Well, ultimately, if uh, there's not somebody who receives value from it, then it's going to be a challenge to achieve the other reasons that you're here. Yeah. Right. If ultimately, you know, that's, you know, you said that can we get theological in it, you know, in Hebrew tradition, Jewish tradition, there is no word for retirement in Hebrew because the connotation is, is that I'm retired, I'm done serving. It's time for you to serve me. Right. There's no more, nothing left for me to do. Uh, I always look at it as no, we're not retiring. Dad said we're getting refired. We're moving to a different or higher level of service, serving in a different way. And so what is it that we do that you do that's serving someone else? And if it's not, uh, boy, that's a, that's a challenge to me. Yeah. Well, I'd say by, by proxy of business, it has to, but do we keep that in mind? Do we, do we keep that in mind, especially for an employee if we're a business owner, I think it's more, obviously it's, it's generally more tangible, but it's convicting to me to think about employees and are we keeping that, am I keeping that at the forefront of their vision of who we are all here to serve in this business, man, good stuff. As always, it's so, so great. I love posting these questions and getting the feedback because it brings up different angles. It gets me thinking. These past few shows, Tom, they've been such great as I've read through people's stuff. Sometimes I think that I don't think through it enough before I post the question. I perceive that there's some, there could be some interest and some value here, but it's when I read people's comments that it makes me think more about myself. Like, wait, how am I? I didn't think about that. How am I viewing that? How am I walking that out or not? So uh, I always feel like I'm the, uh, I'm the most benefiting student and learner of all these shows. Uh, always grateful for your wisdom, Tom. Thanks, brother. Likewise, brother. This episode should invariably have you thinking about who or what you truly work for. It's such an important paradigm shift. Coming up in episode 895, I bring you one of the best-selling authors of all time, Mark Victor Hansen, along with his wife, Crystal. Mark is famous for a lot, but his Chicken Soup for the Soul books have been a worldwide phenomenon, resulting, along with many of his other books, with him being credited for half a million book sales, which makes him halfway to his goal. In this show, we talk about his and Crystal's latest book, Ask. And it's literally about that, asking. Becoming a professional asker is what they say. We're in a culture where we tell, we don't ask. And when we tell, we learn and receive nothing. When we ask, we are gifted with the greatest the world has to offer. It's a profound and timely message. Till then, thank you, as always, for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together. 